Hello and welcome to CIA Files, True Stories of U.S. Intelligence News Edition. I'm Topher M. Ford. We got Brandon Givens here. Brandon, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. I went to a rally today. That was the uh-huh. pro-Ukrainian, um, well, I guess more accurately anti-war rally in um, Almaty. Uh, the government approved it. It seems like there were about 3,000 people there. Wow. Um, yeah, I posted a picture on CIA files. I, I tried, like, doing one of the live, you know, like, Facebook live things, but the connection just wasn't very good or something. But we saw some some good posters and... Um, People said a lot of cuss words about Putin. That was a couple of chants uh, uh, translated into um, something like Putin's a dickhead. And um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a uh, very, very interesting. I think my what? favorite private sign was like first Ukraine, then Kazakhstan. And I was like, yep, <laughs> they're like, they know what time it is. <laughs> what are like, what are some of, what are some uh, Kazakhstan cuss words and like the well when they when they were yelling i would just ask the person next to me like well what are they saying and then they would just translate it for me um oh, okay. i can't really remember how exactly to to say it which is kind of sad because i i should learn the cuss words those are those are <laughs> very important i can <laughs> i can order i can order chicken to eat in russian but i still don't know how to cuss. Um, Is that the main language that they speak there? Yeah, it's slowly gravitating over to Kazakh. Um, But it's also the area you're in. I think the far north is more Russian. And then Almaty itself has a lot of Russian. And, um, but then outside in the countryside, you get a lot more Kazakh. And, you know, the, the, the government's trying to encourage the use of Kazakh and you see more and more signs in Kazakh and, you know, like yeah, today when I went and, you know, got some Chinese food, there was a Kazakh menu and a Russian menu. And so they're kind of moving in that direction. Well, don't let Putin hear that because he'll take that as a, a sign that there's some sort of Russian cultural genocide going on there. Well, I mean, that's that's why the guy had the, the person held up the sign that said first Ukraine, then Kazakhstan. Right. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, we see where we see where this is going. We need to put an end to this game now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about some things uh, in case you guys ha- didn't know. Uh, we're on. Was it day 10 now? Mm, I, I think, but I'm not positive. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. So, yes, we're in the middle of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. At this point, um, news outlets are reporting that more than one and a half million Ukrainian refugees have fled into neighboring countries. And the cities in Ukraine are getting destroyed. It looks terrible. Uh, one of the odd stories. Although I guess it shouldn't be considered that surprising, considering that Ukrainians are still people, and people in general are kind of terrible. One of the uh, depressing things we've seen is the treatment of non-Ukrainians who are in Ukraine and trying to leave. Um, 
African students, students from the Middle East, from India, they're all facing a lot of hostility uh, in the places where people are trying to flee. And it's not a good look, especially with Putin. They're accusing the country of being, you know, a bunch of Nazis. But I guess that's to be expected. I mean, it's not good, but yeah, we're hearing about people being cussed out at train stations. Um, They've been told, you know, like, for instance, uh, people uh, from India trying to get back home, they were told, we can let one of you on for every 15 Ukrainians that get on. And even that, some people were saying wasn't followed. Yeah, I just want to mention that because it sucks. And it's sad that we're still dealing with racism, you know. Right. Well, there, yeah, it's something in human nature. Like we, we kind of naturally tribalize, you know, that's kind of our chimp um, instincts. And it is very unfortunate. And I mean, it, it, it also goes into politics where we create these tribes and we see it in the U S where like with the Democrats and the Republicans, and you'll even get some people like, Oh, I don't hang out with people like that. Like, Oh, Democrats, or I don't hang out with people like that. Oh, Republicans. And it's just, it, it, it's a really harsh thing about, about us. And I mean, humans, I think overall, we often try to get along in trade because trade is kind of beneficial but as soon as resources get tight right then we we tribalize and i think the how tight the resources are make a difference in how how rough those tribal lines get and and so yeah i mean then the you know the, a lot of these people that are fleeing i mean it's uh it's if it's between you know my my cousin my kid and you know my next door neighbor and this person that doesn't look like me well just instinctually people choose themselves or the people that look like them and right it's, yeah it's un, it's unfortunate but that seems to be the thing and i don't think right. it's just the ukrainians that are doing this though i think they're being um not treated so well over on the um once they get into the EU, or not receiving the same level of welcome. Uh, but to the defense of the Ukrainian government and the European Union is they do seem to be trying to address it. Right. This I mean, doesn't yeah. seem to be a governmental issue. It's more of just uh, people on the ground, um, which makes it somewhat understandable because they're obviously very stressed, they're scared, and they're trying to get themselves and their families out. But that doesn't make it any better. Um, And then there's also been, you know, a lot of people talking about the difference in the treatment of Ukrainian refugees versus non-European refugees with, say, darker skin from Middle East and uh, South America and, uh, you know, other places that have had refugee issues. It does kind of show that there's uh, still a bit of a, a global problem with uh you know at least with western countries i mean it's probably not isolated to western countries 
I just thought it's worth mentioning, you know, that. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, it, that. it's putting it out there in front where they say, oh, well, you know, there's, you know, like racism doesn't exist or we're past that. Or, oh, we see people for the, you know, their character and not just the color of their skin. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> right. nah, that's not, yeah, that's right. not exactly what we're seeing. Uh, right. I, I was reading today. I, guess I, should, I should post in the links. Um, Ru- both Russians and Ukrainians, they've been doing this um, actually for, for a while now. But it, I just read about it in the news because in the past week it's grown tremendously. Is um, They're flying to Mexico because they can get tourist visas there moderately easily. And then buying a really cheap car and driving to the border and saying, okay, I'm a refugee. And since they're in cars, they're being accepted more than say, well, I mean, that's what the, that's what the border officials saying versus like, you know, the Haitians or, or the Mexicans or the Hondurans or Guatemalans or whomever that come over and they're on foot and, you know, right, like, oh, I mean, no, 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 no. They're like, oh yeah, we, we want to apply for refugee status. Like, oh no, no, you got to go back to Mexico and do that. Right. <laughs> but, you know, the Ukrainian well, cool. and Russian. It sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like it's not cool. all racism. Maybe some of it is classism. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, well, it's mixing it yeah, up a little yeah. bit there. If you could afford a car. But I mean, the, well, I, I don't know that it would be classism because if you think about it, the cost that a lot of these, these, um, Latin Americans had to pay coyotes or whomever else to try to right. get across the border. It was but that means less than the plane ticket. And the yeah, car. but that doesn't, you can't tell that by their appearance because, you know, maybe the Ukrainians who came over and bought a cheap car, they're coming up in a car. They're probably wearing, you know, relatively clean clothes. And whereas the, the refugees on foot are probably coming in looking dirty because they've been walking, you know, for a long time that, and they look, they look poor. And that's, <laughs> that's uh, like when you get down to your, you know, your Tom, Dick and Harry's out there, the regular people, it's typically about appearance when it comes to classism. I mean, not always, but that plays a huge part in it. If you look poor, people are going to treat you like you are poor, which means they're going to treat you poorly i think <laughs> yeah so anyway that's that you know uh we, well, let's talk a little bit about uh ukraine itself maria paul has been in the the news a lot am i saying that correctly yeah, uh i'm not, well i i'm pretty sure it translates into like city on the sea um but yeah something like that Marupol. i would probably pronounce it Marupol. Marupol. But, but I, I'm not. I'm not really positive about that. Right. Um, yeah. So that's uh, they're under siege right now. I believe they're being bombarded heavily. There was talk Saturday of a ceasefire, uh, at least to give the civilians a chance to leave, because Russia keeps saying that they're not trying to kill civilians. They're just trying to, you know, make the Ukrainian government say uncle so they're we're not killing civilians so that there was a ceasefire it apparently only lasted for about two hours uh, which was just enough time for people to pack up their shit and head to the bus station only to discover that the shelling has resumed and now they can't get back to the shelters yeah and this is from a bbc.com story 
A ceasefire and a chance for civilians to leave was announced on Saturday morning in the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol, where an estimated 200,000 people are trapped under heavy bombardment by Russian forces. The city is now in its fifth day with no water, no power, no sanitation, and food and water are running out fast. Many people came into the city center because they heard there was a ceasefire and buses to take them out and flee the shelling there, then they could not get back to their shelters when it started again. So that sucks for them. Uh, you know, it reminds me of um, Handmaid's Tale. Uh, if you if you haven't seen the, the last season, I'm about to spoil it for you. So cover your ears and go, la, 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 la. But there's like a whole thing about uh, the city and there were refugees and the refugee organization you know, was asking Gilead, you know, that's just like theocratic, the theocratic bad guy government. Hey, we just want to go get food and stuff. And they were like, well, we want, you know, concessions for trade, but we'll let you do that. And, um, but they're like, well, but then what Gilead did is j- just before the food came over, like they had, you know, the people knew the locations about where it was going to be. They bombed the hell out of it. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it was like, okay, the ceasefire will begin at, you know, 2 PM and the food, you know, will begin coming over at these locations. People go there, but at like one thirty, they started bombing it, but they stopped at two. So, <laughs> it was like, Whoa, the Russian, the Russian military, like ripped off handmaid's tail, like the villains in handmaid's tail, but in Kirsten, they're, um, Reports that, you know, like they've surrounded the city and if people try to leave, uh, they shoot at them. And this is going against the propaganda narrative um, that the Russians have been putting out that, oh, we're trying to get, we're trying to negotiate civilian corridors, but the Ukrainians won't let us. And we're trying to get people out to safety, but the Ukrainians won't let us. It's like those words and the actions we're seeing on the ground just don't match. And what sense would it make for the Ukrainians to not let civilians out? Like it's kind of in their interest to get them into safer locations. I mean, I guess theoretically, if there were a really big humanitarian crisis, they are think, Oh, well, you know, we got to help the Ukrainians, but I think the West has made it pretty clear that this is about the most help they're going to get. You know, I mean, they're bombing civilian buildings with, like, missiles. and Right, and apparently some banned weapons, um, like vacuum missiles. So, uh, yeah, I mean, making a humanitarian disaster even worse is not going to help the Ukrainians get any sympathy. I mean, we history has made it pretty clear that humans will sit by and watch the suffering of others. We also have this issue of Russia attacking uh, nuclear power facilities. Of course, you know, they took Chernobyl and then there's talking about uh, Zaporizhia where they've been, um, there's been fighting around another nuclear power plant uh, and Russia took control of that as well. The whole 
concept of nuclear anything has been really worrisome <laughs> so far. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, of course, they talk about the nuclear power plants and the p- potential to, like, if they were to inadvertently or intentionally destroy a, a nuclear power plant, it wouldn't be the same as setting off a nuclear bomb, but it would still be catastrophic because it would basically be, you know, the equivalent of a giant dirty bomb that would put tons of nuclear material into the atmosphere that would presumably spread around Europe. Um, And it, from what we can see and from what I can tell, it kind of seems like Russia is uh, playing kind of fast and loose with that, that they're not that concerned, you know. I mean, they haven't actually destroyed a nuclear power plant, so it doesn't seem like they want to. But it also almost feels like if they did, they'd be like, eh, well, you know, <laughs> you got to break some eggs. Um it's it's making everybody nervous and i think it plays into this whole idea that putin has been that he's kind of lost his mind you know and then there is the potential for him using some of their vast nuclear arsenal too against ukraine or even potentially against any other countries that were to try to help ukraine um I can't help but wonder if, as it's looking, you know, worse for Russia, I mean, they're obviously, they're doing, they are winning, I guess you'd say, although not apparently at the... Slow, they're they're making slow progress, but I would not say they're winning the war. I mean, it's still possible that they will win. Right, it kind of feels like they're, I mean, they are making slow gains. Um, probably like, I mean, I, I figured one of the, uh, one of my magical predictions, like they're going to try to take uh, that land bridge to Crimea and they've almost kind of accomplished that, but there's a world of difference in taking something and holding it. And that would only be one of their many objectives. And I know Putin has come out and said everything's going according to plan, but. Right. But that's what he's going to say, no matter what. I mean, if he was like being chased down a a long corridor by Ukrainian special forces team trying to kill him personally, he'd probably tell newspapers as he's running. I I intended for this. (laughs) Yeah. I meant to do yeah. it. You're the one running away from a crazy man. You're the one running right. away from. I am not running away. Right. Yeah. China got upset about this too. I think this is uh, may have been for them kind of a point where they were like, "Oh well, yeah. Normally we kind of tolerate our um, authoritarian friend to the north, but dude, <laughs> come on! This was completely unnecessary." I mean, that's kind of the thing, too. I, I guess, I mean, I understand the idea of controlling uh, the power plant, but did you really have to control it? I mean, if you control all the roads to it, 
I mean, you know, like, there's no need to drive up there and start shooting at it. Right. And I keep, again, I'm not an expert at all, but as you're, you know, a regular guy who's watching from a great distance, I can't help but feel worried that we might see some uh, mushroom clouds, you know, especially if things in Ukraine, like if he stops making the slow progress that he has been making, if things stall out or it looks like the tide is turning, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I think yeah, I wouldn't either. I think the first step they would he would use uh, tactical nukes. Uh, right. My thinking would be that he would use. Yeah, exactly. Like, not do a major thing, but do use a nuclear weapon somewhere just to illustrate we're not fucking around. You know. Uh, it's and that's really scary because we haven't seen a you know a nuclear bomb explode. I mean, you know, there was just the two in Japan during World War II, and then, of course, all the testing. And it's been all quiet since then, and I think most of us would prefer to keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we also have more uh, sanctions, uh, businesses pulling out of Russia, Visa and MasterCard. Uh, that seems pretty big. Another big one was Microsoft. Now, Microsoft said that they are stopping any uh, new sales. So people <laughs> in in Russia, they can't buy an Xbox or Windows or, you know, Microsoft products, uh, Microsoft Word, whatever. Uh, and this is a somewhat big deal. It's not as big a deal as if Microsoft were to pull, like completely pull all support from Russia, that would be crippling because so much, uh, so much business infrastructure depends on Microsoft services. Uh, they haven't gone that far yet, but maybe they could. Yeah. I mean, with uh, that tactical nuke drops, then they'll be like, okay, now we're really taking this seriously. Right. But uh, th- and then, of course, as far as the sanctions go, people are starting to boycott Coca-Cola because they refused to pull out of Russia, which reminds me of, you know, the late 80s and Glasnost and uh, Coca-Cola seemed to be at the forefront, the tip of the cultural spear, so to speak, at that well, time. Pepsi was there first. Oh, yeah. But... It's Pepsi. It's like that <laughs> that family guy bit where Peter goes to Russia and he's talking to Putin and he's like, we have everything America has, just not quite as good. America has the Simpsons. We have family guy. <laughs> America has Coke. We have Pepsi. <laughs> so it's, it's looking more and more like a, Russia's economy is getting crushed. Well, the tangay here, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm worried about. The currency has lost a lot of value. It's like, 
and the past. You mean they're in Kazakhstan? Yeah, I used to get uh, 430 Tange to a dollar, and now it's 512 to a dollar. Now, I'm paid in U.S. dollars, so in theory, for me personally, that's pretty sweet. But, because they... You know, inflation will catch up with it. It's like, well, I guess I should go out this weekend and buy a whole bunch of wheat or maybe a new suit before the prices go up. Because the prices will go up to reflect the cost of importing things. But, yeah, like the Kazakh um, economy is so tied to Russia. The the ruble lost so much value, and now the Tenge is kind of following it. And the... The government's trying to figure out what to do because you know we just had big riots uh, in January because right. prices went up for gasoline, and you know if prices go up for this, you know it's like it's not really the Kazakh's government's fault, <laughs> but right. they're still gonna they're still gonna be taking the blame for not coming up with a solution. Um, so yeah, that's it's one of the things I'm a little a little nervous about. Right. It's not, and it's that's not worth of, it's not worth a discount on a new suit for me. <laughs> right. And that kind of plays into something that we've briefly discussed before, and it's how uh broad sanctions will affect like very I can't think of the word, severely. They will, you know, have severe consequences for your at regular average russian citizen who doesn't, doesn't really have a say anyway right <laughs> and that seems if they do say something they go into, to jail uh, yeah and that's built into uh you know the hope that uh, of the effect that sanctions will have that the general population will get tired of dealing with it and will overthrow their government uh that doesn't seem likely in, no, in yeah, this situation. Yeah, North Korea and Iran should have taught us that. And I mean, and we're kind of seeing it now. I mean, it, it is good that we've done these, or in my personal opinion, it's good that we've done these more extreme sanctions because they are making a difference. And they're, they're, they're making it more difficult for Russia to ra- wage the war. Whereas most right. of the previous sanctions, it's like, give me a break. You know, like, this is not doing anything. This is just annoying some people. And um, in some ways it can even, uh, what was it, creates a level of protectionism that may be beneficial to certain sectors of the economy. Like in Russia, some of the sanctions in the past, they've started growing more of their own vegetables and fish and eating more traditional meals. So like organic farming increase or something like that. So in that way, we are helping them. Healthier, more sustainable lives. Okay. Okay. I can get behind that. Yeah. Well, you know, if you don't have McDonald's, you know, you got to have your organic shiitake mushrooms and stuff that's oddly specific but okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh speaking of other countries uh finnish support for joining nato has been going up it seemed you know from what i've read before this uh finnish people were 
lukewarm on the idea of joining NATO. They didn't really want to. But now they are, you know, as they're seeing how Russia's acting and how Russia is telling them, you better not do this. <laughs> they're starting to think, maybe we should do this. Don't you join um, that club. Yeah, there's a, a, a story on BBC and it, uh, it mentioned uh, two two guys who were playing video games together while they were talking about, you know, Russia and Ukraine. And they said, you know, we should do something about this. And they started chatting with a few other friends online. Uh, the five of them cooked up a plan to collect signatures for a petition to the Finnish parliament. That's from this BBC uh, story. The story says, in order to launch a debate by MPs, a proposal has to have 50,000 signatures. Within 10 days, they had reached 70,000. They had touched a nerve in the Finnish population, and now the matter will be put to the government. The latest opinion polls indicate that a majority of people support the idea. So, you know, this could could be backfiring on Putin as far as, you know... uh, undermining Wait. nato suppressing yeah, you know, nato yeah he kind of united people against him and yeah it's like finland was like okay we're gonna live and let live <laughs> oh hmm, maybe after all this they'll get back that the land lost in the winter war i'm pretty yeah. sure those, those lines are pretty settled that's not going to happen but <laughs> right <laughs> so, yeah so i don't know what do you see as uh Coming up next, what do you think that we're going to see moving forward? Oh, let's see. What is next? Um, I think they're they're after they if they manage to take Maripol and solidify the south, um, they they want to go toward Moldova. Um, they'll go ahead and just gobble that one up in the process probably even before they they can pacify the rest of ukraine uh because maybe they don't end up passing pacifying the the rest of ukraine but they got to gobble up moldova (laughs) and why i'm saying that is moldova also is interested in joining nato and um they're trying to rush their European Union membership. And they had the same sort of thing as Ukraine, where they had a pro-Russian side and a pro-Western like European side. And the Western Europeans have taken power. And then there's the issue with the Transnista, which is this sort of like, it's part of Moldova, but not and they're like soviet holdouts like their flag as the soviet flag and stuff i think their money still has stalin on it or something uh, but they're very pro-russian and so yeah i think they're gonna they're gonna push west and try to take moldova right and, and then there was that issue with that's the place where the belarusian president accidentally gave away uh russian plans Oh, yeah, there's that map showing the general directions and stuff. Yeah, it looks as if. I mean, you could say, well, that could be a warning or that could be like you're playing mind games. I don't think so. I think that was just incompetence. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, the whole four D chess thing is yeah. typically when I hear that, I'm like, that means that somebody fucked up and they're trying yeah. to cover it up. <laughs> Another big thing that we haven't talked about that we should is the talks of a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And Zelensky keeps insisting that you know NATO and the West institute a no-fly zone, and, but they keep saying, uh, we can't really do that because that's going to be another line that we're not ready to cross. Um, yeah, and hadn't Putin already come out and said, if you do a no-fly zone, we're going to see you as an aggressor. Right, because um, a no-fly zone means that they're going to start shooting, you know, like the NATO forces are going to start shooting down Russian planes, uh, which and missiles. is not going to be a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and, and it would complicate things for countries like Kazakhstan, Um because they're in the CSTO and Armenia, because even though they kind of want to stay out of it, if if you know, they if Russia can make the claim that they really are under attack, but I don't know. Right. I think like there's we enough- talked about last week how yeah. how uh, Kazakhstan declined Russia's request for more troops because they were like, "Well, you're not being we're only obligated to help you defensively." And so the no-fly zone could give credence to that claim, I guess. Yeah, Is that what I, you're saying? It, it could. I'm sure Putin would push that, but I think there might be enough wiggle room out of it. I I think it also may be. I mean, this is really dark, but the West's way of um, draining the Russians is they've created the an ulcer for them. Well, not that the West created the ulcer. Um, uh, Putin kind of created it. It's um, Napoleon uh, and the Napoleonic Wars. He just couldn't be happy with how Spain was working, and he had to he had to go in and try to put his his brother or something in charge, and thus creating the Spanish ulcer. And the British sent in troops, and the Spanish had their guerrilla warfare forever, and it just drained Napoleon's forces down. You know, you know, a lot of people think remember with the Napoleonic Wars, oh, when you went to Russia, and it's like, uh, eh, Spain wore him down too. And that's kind of how I see Ukraine becoming for Russia is their hubris got them into it and their pride won't let them get out. And they're they're going to keep pushing as far as they can get, and then they're going to want to hold whatever they can. So maybe they only take that, you know, like Crimea to the Donbass. Maybe that's all they ever really pull off to hold. But then it's just going to be a long grinding um, war. I mean, they already had the the war going on, you know, really for quite some time. But it was this sort of World War One ish stalemate where they're lobbing mortars at each other. And I mean, lots of people died. I think it was like 15,000 have died in, in that war, that part of the war so far. Um, but it wasn't just all over the country. It was kind of this out of sight, out of mind thing. Right. And um, uh, I think it was kind of more like also mercenary groups that were dying and you know, true believers 
and then that sort of that sort of crew. But this, yeah, I my dark thought is the West is like, why do we want to go in and possibly have a nuclear war when we can just supply the Ukrainians and let them grind Russia down like it's uh, it's Afghanistan plus Spain together right. <laughs> and 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 we already see reports about I mean you know of course we're ha- while a conflict is going on you have to be careful to understand the potential for what you know information you're hearing being propaganda but there has been a lot of talk of russian forces being poorly equipped like their their tanks and military vehicles don't have gps navigation and so they've been working off paper maps um there's been claims that their food rations expired in 2015 um all those things are probably still good (laughs) right there you know talks of russian soldiers knocking on the doors of ukrainians asking for food and water and gas so if that stuff is true you know it may be putin is well i guess that's just that's always kind of been the russian strategy is quantity over quality um yeah but they don't necessarily have the quantity i mean the right because they over you know if he over estimated his troops ability and it's not being as effective as he thought they would be yeah they've got a demographic crisis as it is and now they're sending their young people which they don't have enough of into a meat grinder i mean this is going to really harm as it goes on russia for many many years to come i mean if it if it ends up what does that mean for the possibility of russia trying to do something similar in another country like Georgia or Lithuania. Oh yeah. I think um, if they, if they can get away with Moldova, then they'll push either to Lithuania or Georgia. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which one my instinct says Georgia, because uh, people are less likely if they got away with Moldova, Georgia is not part of like NATO, even though they want to be or the EU. And so there you go. They can be, you know, they could take them and be like, ha we took this too. And if they get away with that and they're really feeling like, oh, well, the West just really isn't going to do anything, then they'll probably go through Lithuania to, if not take the whole country, to take like um, a land bridge to Kaliningrad because they have that area of Russia that's on the Baltic Sea that used to be part of Germany. And so they'll just like, all right, well, this, uh, you know, they've always kind of moaned about, oh, we feel that we can't really have access to this and we want full access. And it's like, oh, that means you would have to control Lithuania. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, but if their military is proving to be the, you know, less effective and is also being chewed up in Ukraine. How's that going to affect their ability to move into other places? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing. As long as uh, they are being chewed up heavily in Ukraine, I don't see them. 
I don't see them going, at least not to Georgia, because that would be opening up a, a completely different front. If um, they managed to take all of southern Ukraine up to the Transnista, then they're just going to see that as another walkover. I mean, the country's got less than a million people. Yeah, you know, Moldova. So it would be like, oh well, I'm just roll on, roll on in here. Where as long that as they don't think anyone. Like a, oh yeah, I was going to say that could be just like a little side quest for them. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, especially if well, it's what they took from Romania. Uh, like, well, the Soviets, you know, when um, uh, it was kind of the the deal with Hitler for the Ribbentrop Pact is like, well, we want Moldova, and he's like, okay. <laughs> so they're like and help Putin's whole thing is like kind of restoring the glory of the Soviet Union so if he's got a area that oh we could just roll our tanks on in and take this then yeah why not right and so yeah if I were if I were Moldovian I would be getting a little nervous about that right now uh, but at the same time I think they have to push all the way there they have to take the full southern portion uh, and they're trying uh, they've uh, I think Kherson is kind of they've they're holding Kherson so far which is well it's north of Crimea but they're 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 moving west slowly but um, they they've been pushed back some of their western southwestern gains they've been pushed back from and some of their northern gains they've been pushed back from so I mean, all this is contingent upon, you know, well, do they start making advances? Which is, they're using the Aleppo strategy, which is to bomb the holy hell out of the civilians until they just kind of give in, or they're just too shell-shocked to really resist, out of food, out of water. and Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of before and after videos of uh, cities in Ukraine, and it just devastating the amount of destruction that has happened there it's almost unbelievable i mean it is believable but you're like holy crap i i wasn't expecting that i probably right. should have but wow yeah i mean i i wasn't expecting it to that extent in the whole aren't they trying to win some hearts and minds thing? <laughs> then yeah, I'm just, not. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> sweet. I'm so sweet. They're like, um, uh, yeah, just the uh, direct attacks on civilians. And yeah, it, it, this is, it's all terror. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down Shock to. And all. It? Yeah. It's state, state sanctioned terror. And, uh, so, yeah. and then, so playing into that, um, there's been a lot of talk in the past since 2016 about Russian disinformation and Russian propaganda. And last week, you know, when we talked about Putin, we discussed how that's kind of his bread and butter. That's his jam is disinformation. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're good was, at it. I'm, I'm curious. I haven't found much information on, like how well his propaganda campaign is doing with Russian citizens. I mean, what I find this is, and this is a problem with propaganda in general. When I look for news stories on it, 
I, I find news stories that highlight people in Russia who aren't buying it, who don't believe it, people in Russia who are protesting. But I also kind of get the sense that they're cherry picking those instances, you know, to help move the image that everything that Putin is doing, he's doing poorly. So, I mean, what do you know about that, that the effect that he's having? Uh, Well, I mean, most of what I heard is anecdotal. And it's like, I've got, we have a lot of students from Russia. Um, We have people who are friends with Russians, people who are Ukrainian. They have, you know, family, you know, we talk to taxi drivers and from what I gather, the um, the propaganda is pretty effective. One person I talked to is like my um, cousin, or something like my cousins are in um, Ukraine, calling you know their parents, saying who live in Russia, saying, "Look, we are being attacked here. We are like they're 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 bombing the houses." And the their relatives are saying, no, 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 no. Your government is doing that. Your the Ukrainian government is blowing those buildings up to make it look like Russia did it. And they're seemingly believing it. And the Russians are there to help you. Like um, they're they're there to protect you from your 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 government has Nazis in it and your control. It's a puppet. Zelensky's a puppet and. And he's he's bad for you, and we're trying to we're trying you know, like the Russian soldiers are just trying to liberate you, and yeah, like from what I gather, it seems to be pretty effective. People seem to be buying it. But I mean, to be honest with you, looking at the if you, it's like a stare into the abyss, go on social media, the it's br- the propaganda is brilliant. Like what, what you can expect to see on social media over the next, like next few, well, just forever is, um, Ukrainians are Nazis. How do we know they're Nazis? The Azov battalion. And we've talked about them, but it was this group that it's foreign, largely foreign volunteers. Many of them actually Russian and during when the, not when the war in the Donbass first broke out, it wasn't this just contained thing. There were those little green men, the, you know, the Russian mercenaries and these like militant groups and they invaded Ukraine. They were, and they were going actually, interestingly enough, toward Mariupol, which is, you know, the new place that's about to be under siege. And the Azov battalion were successful in beating the, the, um, uh, if you want to call them separatists or Russians, whomever you want to call them back. And Ukraine at the time was not really in the position to be looking at people's political ideology after the surprise invasion. And so they tried to depoliticize them. So the Ukrainians are like, okay, well, there's this effective military force. Okay, so we're going to make you part of our official military system. And their like leader that was a neo-Nazi left and formed a political party because you, know, you can't be a political party leader in in this this military group. It's like all right. So the push is going to be that we're supposed to believe 
because there were Nazis defending Ukraine from Russians when it was invaded in the past, that the Ukrainian regime itself is, is fascist, that the, they, you know, are at least tolerant of it, which they do have, the, the Ukraine has a Nazi problem. Poland has a Nazi problem. Germany has a Nazi problem. If you haven't noticed, the U.S. seems to have one. Uh, Russia right. has one. Russia has one, too. Now, having said that, because there is a war or has been a war going on, it was kind of a breeding ground for people to go get training. And there's this push to point out, oh, Azov, Azov. Well, they were they, the Russians were doing it, too. The Russians had Nazis going in over on their side. Now, I don't want to play what about. You know, that, you know, even though right. I, I, I feel like more it's the point is, is not so much. What about you? As it is that fucking neo-Nazis are everywhere. Right. They're, they're kind of like cockroaches. Yeah. The other push you're going to see is like kind of little, little nitpicky things. Um, there was a concert uh, in Ukraine for like a few years, like support the vets, like raise the money for the vets. And one of the bands was a Nazi band. I mean, like flat out, like Holocaust denier Nazis and a right wing member of parliament helped organize that, that um, concert. And the, like the former prime minister attended. And so there was this like, uh, you know, like, Oh, so, because a former prime minister attended a support the troops rally that had a very offensive band, therefore the Ukrainian regime, they're Nazis. And it's like, no, that means one prime minister made a, what I would call a very poor decision. Um, and I mean, again, we've got that in the U S like we have elected officials who have Nazis in their midst uh, or and have been seen recently at white supremacist events too. Right. right. And that's not right. And that prime minister, his defense was, it wasn't up to me to tell the concert people who to invite. And um, I, I, I probably would have suggested playing it, saying ignorance. Like I, I didn't know. <laughs> I just got, you know, then when they started singing, I was like, oh no. But, uh, um, but nonetheless, yeah, it's like in the U.S., we have our own problems with these issues. Of course, you could then say, see, the U.S. is a fascist nation. I was like, ah, right. you know, it's like, well, we, we do have our issues. Ukraine has its issues. Poland has its issues. Um, every nation has its problem with extremists. And, but that doesn't mean that the regime, like the software, the heart, the constitutional nature of that country is Nazi. You know, so they'll, but you know, they'll, you know, so you're, you're going to get that. You're going to get, oh, you know, this person was a Nazi. And if they tolerate one Nazi, that means everybody's a Nazi. And uh, let's see, the other thing we're probably going to see is um, 
Oh, yeah, about this thing, too. It's kind of ironic because a lot of the people complaining about that particular thing that, you know, like kind of lurch, lurch and see were the same right wingers who were like, the Unite the Right rally, that's just about free speech. And and <laughs> these liberals right. want to shut it down and They're they want to stop free apologists. speech. Yeah. <laughs> like, apologists at a bare minimum. <laughs> but it's like, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I will, I will say, like that prime minister should not have gone to that concert, and, and, right? But that doesn't mean to me that doesn't mean that the entire government is in league with Nazis, <laughs> right? That's a bit of a, a slippery slope there. Let's see. And also, like you heard, we, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, like the. The, you know, people that engaged in, in racist activity and uh, that, that's awful and it exists, but there, there's not a, a major organized movement in the government to like kill people or get rid of them or right. That's, you know, just, like, <laughs> that's, that's not indicative of the government. That's just people being terrible yeah. because they're scared. And, this um, and this sort of propaganda, it's going to be shared by both the left and the right. You're not, you know, you're yeah. going to see it on both sides. You're going to see the it. Tankies from, are out in force right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to see it on the left. Well, and also it's a whole thing like, well, anything that like anybody that stands up to the U.S. automatically has to be right. And it's like, well, the U.S. has done some pretty awful things. Yes, but. They're not always wrong. And, and even even if, you know, even if you think that the U.S. has only ever done bad, that doesn't make it okay for other people to be murderous dictators, you know? Right. It's like, and, who's bombing civilians now? That's kind of the quick question, you know? Like, who is it that is attacking civilians? And according to the Putin's press machine... The Ukrainians are attacking their own civilians. Right. Uh, but, of course, the, you'll get elements of the right that will go along with it because um, anything that makes Biden look bad. It's like the tribalism, like they get so mad at the Democrats or the left or what they think is going on with that, that Vladimir Putin is less scary. And... It is shocking to see the before and after videos where at least a few of them had the, um, like they switched their tune a bit and where they're like, oh, you know, like three weeks ago, Putin was the darling. And now, well, he's kind of overstepping his boundaries a little bit, but <laughs> still, uh, you're going to see a lot on the right defending him. Like uh, just anything that could possibly embarrass Biden. And they're yeah. going to look for reasons to say any negative effect from this war is because of that. Now, the, the where that is coming from, it might actually be like good old fashioned American rightist propaganda. It may not seed from Russia. But you're going to also see a whole thing about gas prices and it being all oh, the yeah. fault that the Democrats want to go toward green energy are we didn't build a pipeline. And it's like, well, those pipelines are like, especially like the Keystone that that was to export oil. 
So that would not necessarily lower prices of oil in right. the U.S. Like and that would put it on the world market. If you make it more. Point, at what point did America start pushing this narrative that the president has control or like a ton of influence over the price of gas? I mean, I'm sure that obviously like decisions that the president and that the you know the government makes can have some effect on that price but they're not controlling it and right. and that annoys me i guess because they don't have direct control over the price of gas the president does not set the price of gas and the president doesn't have control over all of the circumstances that dictate the price of gas he can only sort of try to steer it one way or another. Um, And it's just turned into another thing for one side to attack the other side over every time the price of gas goes up. Yeah, so that's bread and circuses. Uh, well, the governments, yeah, a lot of times the government saw its role historically as keeping bread prices low. <laughs> it helps avoid, it helps avoid riots. Uh, right, yeah, so gasoline. Got to keep the price of gas low so people don't get upset. Yeah. The only difference is we make plenty of bread here in the United States, but, you know, we can't. I don't think we have enough gas, enough oil. Here <laughs> to- we, we might because I think the U.S. is the number one oil producer. It's what it is, is the oil, and especially with Canada, U.S. and Canada together, I'm pretty sure if we did not export, we could um, fund ourselves. But oil goes on an, an export market. So like the price of oil is based on, well, what can I get for it? And some oil is worth more than others, um, you know, like whether it depends on like the, how it's viscosity or something. I don't know exactly, but right. You know, oil from one country often you know have a different price than oil from somewhere else but because uh, of different physical qualities it might have i guess so i've never understood that this whole thing of like if america is producing enough oil to sustain itself why don't we use that here well free market it's it's a free market because you would have to stop exporting it so it's like if we um, like if we stopped exporting it, you know, and just had it in our, our country, well, that would be, it would be a closed market. And of course, how much we would produce would still be based on how much money the co- profit the company could get from it. So even now, the Exxon and all, all the oil companies uh, lower and increase output based on what profits they can happen to be getting at that moment. And if it's not very profitable, then they won't pump it out. So uh, if they put like a big, you know, okay, no exporting of oil, it's not, and not like, oh, oil's gonna go to 50 cents a gallon or something, cause they're still gonna charge what they can get for it. But the difference is it would only be within the American market itself. Like right now, they say, okay, well, Americans, we, you know, this, we, we want to um, buy this oil from you to turn into gasoline and we'll give you, you know, $100 a barrel. And the Chinese are like, well, we'll give you 130 Well, that barrel's going to go to China. And, <laughs> you know, that's that. Yeah. 
I mean, that makes sense of a sort, I um, guess. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's just uh, the thing where, uh, and that's why like a pipeline doesn't necessarily make sense because if you're making it cheaper to export, then you're actually making it more expensive to refine locally. But the U.S. does, uh, my understanding is the U.S. does have a shortage of refineries that it's somehow sometimes more profitable to export the oil and then have it refined. Yeah, have it refined in gasoline and re-imported. So, I mean, you could, if you really did care about gas prices, um, subsidize the refineries that turn oil into gasoline. You know, you could consider that a war measure or a defensive measure, but that would, again, be socialism. And people (laughs) wouldn't, you know, you don't want to have any socialism. So, you know. Yes, at at this point, the the conservative, the hard right narrative is seems to be that any government action whatsoever is socialism, right? Yeah, which you know makes sense when you consider that for the past, well, since the seventies, eighties at least, conservatives have been trying to just deconstruct the entire u.s government (laughs) yeah well except for you know like military contracts you know right which those are going to do pretty well right now i think and this is i mean i imagine if if you had halliburton stock right now you might actually get to sleep well at night because you're like oh (laughs) my weapons are going to go to help protect democracy for once yay (laughs) you know the best thing they're going they're going to go to ukrainians yay was it was it stingers eighty thousand a pop something like that? And it's like ah. Um, but another one you're going to hear about is oh Zelensky's actually corrupt too, and this is based on he is fairly wealthy guy because he was he's an actor and right. his shows very well and he. There's an oligarch, which is a very wealthy man who happens to be of Russian or Ukrainian origin. I don't know why Americans aren't oligarchs. But anyway, there's an oligarch who um, has like production companies and like media networks. And that is like the media network that Zelensky worked for. And he, that oligarch, and the former president, Prochenko, or I think it's Prochenko, who is also an oligarch who makes chocolate candy. Uh, they they didn't like each other. They was like always accusing the other one of being corrupt or something. And um, so this the oligarch close to Zelensky seemed to have helped him with his campaign and was like kind to him in the media. It's like okay, but there does not appear to have been anything that Zelensky's done to help this guy in an illegal way, like whatever investigations are going on about corruption, they're happening. Zelensky hasn't stopped them, you know? So it's like, um, and it's incredibly ironic to me too. Oh, and also um, he, you know, part of Zelensky's campaign was going against corruption and like all these oligarchs, they hide their money. And it's like, well, you're friends with an oligarch. It's like, well, somebody's got to pay the bills. 
but also Zelensky got caught up in the Pandora Papers, which were like um, he he had some offshore companies, but he was also divesting them just before the election. Like so, it's like he did the thing he was supposed to do. He was in the process of divesting from these offshore companies, but they're saying, "Well, you're actually a hypocrite." But they can't really see that he's done anything really even that unethical it's you know he had movie companies set up in belize because well i think he thought they would be safer from seizure but it's a little hypocritical there is that and there was one thing that was shady is one of his companies he transferred ownership to a friend um, and there doesn't appear to have been a payment made so that was uh -huh. a little that was and that company still gives dividends to him, so that's a little shady and that's wrong. Um, yeah, and not to you know not to dismiss it completely, but the cynical take, which is also probably the most realistic take, I think, in this situation, is how many you know leaders of sovereign nations are you going to find that are completely and strictly on the level across the board i mean can you even become the president of a country without engaging in at least some of that shit yeah. you know i mean not again like i say i'm not justifying it um but i well, guess i'm being a little relativist about it I, I mean, I personally don't blame the guy for having offshore accounts and businesses, um, even if he's complaining. I mean, that's just standard practice. Yeah, even if he's complaining about other people doing it. Now, if it if it shows he was doing it for like really shady tax evasion purposes, which they that has not been indicated, um, that that's a different story. Uh, but I mean, some of the crap where they're like, oh, he went to this oligarch's birthday. Uh, party, which he did, and then they're like, he also, and that oligarch lived in Geneva, and he flew to Switzerland like ten times in a year, and then, and the oligarch moved to Tel Aviv, and like he he flew to Tel Aviv like four times, and it's like he's that's his job to fly to Geneva and Tel Aviv. <laughs> that's <laughs> and have he flew to London too, like that. That's his job. That's what he does, and. Uh, but the, it's kind of scraping the bottom of the bucket. And the irony to me, too, is like I could kind of see the left pulling that one out of their hat. Um, but the, if the right pulls it out of their hat, they're like, come on. Because like Mr. Drain the Swamp, who won't even release his tax records. Mr. Like, taxes are stupid and nobody yeah, should pay them. Yeah, give me a break. That you're just living in an alternate universe. Um, but. Well, it doesn't matter if things are contradictory. You know, you say them anyway if you think it'll hurt the other side. That's what we've been seeing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, the 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 tribalism and the yeah. Like I say if it, if it hurts, if it hurts, it makes the Democrats look bad, or if it makes the establishment look bad and it's, uh, yeah but anyway those are those are my predictions about when you when you cruise um social media if you look at the political memes the sorts of things you're going to see and um they're good yeah i mean some i of the hopped stuff I've back seen on uh i hopped back on twitter for 
a few minutes the other day and quickly got back off because I've discovered I don't have the stomach for dealing with a million different contract, like uh, conflicting opinions. And I've started to like generally stay away from social media. I just, I can't handle it. But I looked at Twitter. I was like, let's see, because aside from all of the opinions, uh, social media can be a good place to get some real time updates on what's happening. And so I wanted to get in and see that stuff, but you, it's really hard to see that without also seeing a million hot takes. You gotta, you, just, you can't, you can't engage. You have to lurk. Yeah. Yeah. But even that, I'm just like, oh. Well, if you can't, if you can't, if you can't like detach yourself from it, then, oh no. no yeah. You're just, oh, that's why I'm saying. I, yeah. <laughs> no. Like, Don't stare into the void. The void stares back. And it says, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's not what it says. It's, <laughs> it's not good though. Uh, it's like the void was like. I saw you from across the bar and I really like your vibe. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so while all of this has been going on, people are also discussing every once in a while, uh, the issues with China and their relationship to Taiwan, because, you know, the, there's a little bit of similarity between China and Taiwan and Russia and Ukraine. Not exactly, you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but it is basically uh, one country saying to another place, uh, you know, you are, you belong to us. You belong to me. Um, Don't you dare talk to anyone else. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone is saying that China's been watching this conflict closely and that, you know, it's very likely that this will affect their approach toward Taiwan. Uh, there was a a conference, a summit, uh, I'm not All sure right. which, uh, on uh, Saturday. Today, oh, by the way, today is, uh, we're recording this on March 6th on Sunday. Where So this is according to Reuters. Uh, they wrote, China pledges peaceful growth of Taiwan ties, but opposes foreign interference. Uh, and the Chinese premier, Li Kuchong, said, we will advance peaceful growth of relations across the Taiwan Strait and the reunification of China. We firmly oppose any separatist activities seeking, quote unquote, Taiwan independence and firmly oppose foreign interference. All of us Chinese on both sides of the Taiwan Strait should come together to advance the great and glorious cause of China's rejuvenation, which to me sounds like he is saying, everybody calm down. We're not launching any military offensives anytime soon, (laughs) but that doesn't mean that it's all right for y'all to start calling Taiwan a country, you know. So, yeah. well, calm people down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Taiwan's mainland, this is uh, from a Newsweek story on the same uh, issue. Taiwan's mainland affairs council responded by saying that public opinion in Taiwan opposes the quote, 
political framework, military intimidation, and diplomatic suppression imposed by China, and that China and that Taiwan remains, quote, a force for regional peace and stability. So not a lot new there, but it, it you know, it was a, a reminder. Status quo, yeah. which but it is a reminder that, you know, China still expects to I don't know, take Taiwan. I'm sure they don't see it that way. Reclaim Taiwan. Uh, Regained administrative control. Yeah. That might be. uh, Get rid of that pesky democracy they've got set up there. (laughs) But who knows? Taiwan might gain administrative control of of China. And it's still one China. You mean West Taiwan? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like West Taiwan. I'm sorry, China, don't sanction me. <laughs> many important business dealings in China. Yeah, I think uh, we're mainly I think we're... just stuff that I'm ordering off of Amazon, cheap electronics. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah. You should put your own sanctions on China. Right. That's it. I am crowdsource sanctions. Oh, boycott. Crowdsource sanctions. It's called a boycott. Yeah, but maybe more people would get behind it if it because crowdsourced sanctions sounds cooler. It sounds new and fresh. Oh, maybe Boycott that should be one for. So... All right, I'm writing it down. We need to make that as a T-shirt to to sell on on Threadless. Ah, and that's a good segue <laughs> as we wrap things up. Crowdsourced and, so, sanctions. Tell me, Brandon, do we still? Because okay, so for y'all. Uh, maybe don't know. We adjusted our logo a little bit because of some issues with copyright concern. Um, so it says CIA files podcast. We are going to be fixing that. So if you want to get like the, you know, the early edition, uh, yeah, you should do that. Yeah, uh, because those will turn into collectors' um, items. Exactly, kind of like when they mint a a penny and they give Abraham Lincoln a dick for a nose or something for, a, and they're like, "Oh no, dick nose Abraham Lincoln pennies are out there." You know, you want to get a dick nose Abraham Lincoln penny? Um, I'm not even sure Abraham Lincoln's on the penny. I forget. Yeah, I think that's him. Uh, yeah. Okay, but yeah, yeah. So think of it like that. Get out there and uh, get those collectors' items before we, you know, make put it proper again. Social media, like and follow. Uh, Facebook dot com slash CIA files. Twitter, Instagram. That's at CIA files podcast, and the website, of course, CIA files dot net. And we'll be back soon with another update and we'll be having an episode coming out very soon on British spy slash Russian spy British diplomat slash Russian spy Guy Burgess as we continue our look into the Cambridge Five and British and US intelligence relationships uh, you know post World War II but thanks for listening Uh, 
check back in ciafiles.threadless.com yes ciafiles.threadless.com go buy some stuff we've got oh yeah the uh just blatantly begging for money what what is our buy me a coffee url uh, let me see um buy me a coffee.com backslash cia files there you have it we love money we are hardcore capitalists here <laughs> yay um, i am wearing a shirt by the way with nestor Machno on it um known uh, com- uh russian revolutionary anarchist um he would want you to buy our shirts as well <laughs> i'm pretty sure uh all of the Rev- russian revolutionaries would say those shirts are pretty dope Uh, Anyway, thanks again, and uh, we out. All right. Bye-bye.